Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Colt Malson. Welcome, Colt. Um, so today's special episode uh, has Alec Milanik, a uh, 26-year-old living in Gramercy, New York City, making uh, art on different mediums of the pe- for the people and of the people. Uh, welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for that introduction. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me just make sure you're... Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah. So welcome. And uh, let's start off about your art. Um, talking a little bit about uh, what themes or what uh, ideas express you express in your art and what were your obsessions as, as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been painting for a while. My mom started me, my brother, and my sister off in lessons when we were really little. Uh, and then they kind of saw that I had a knack for it when I was five or six. Uh, and then they kept pressing me to go into it. So in high school, I took just random art classes in high school and then uh, I kind of dropped off a little bit in college, but then I took it over again once I started working. Um, so I have the the different mediums that I was mentioning is like sometimes I'll buy sculptures. For instance, I have one of Beethoven and I just splatter painted it just to like add a different energy to it. Uh, but primarily I'll do canvas artwork where I just like paint over. And then um, the the overarching themes, I think, often are politics. So during the election, I had a lot of artwork around Bernie Sanders and kind of how the DNC screwed him over and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think the, the overarching themes are usually related to people and current events and things like that. So Yeah, interesting. And you do um, mostly visual art, right? Yeah, mostly visual art. Yeah, yeah I know um, you're also a poet as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, amateur poet, but... <laughs> But I like to write in my free time, so uh, I, I kind of sit on my roof or I do it on the train or, you know, whenever I get, get any kind of, like, inspiration to write about anything, I, I take take advantage of it, so. Yeah, yeah, and you were discussing a little bit about uh, uh, capitalism and uh, the uh, commodification of the, um, you know, like kind of, like, corporate America, I think it was a big theme in, in the piece that I listened to, we'll be listening to a little later. Uh, corporate America and the kind of the, the in your uh, understanding of corporate America and your understanding of like how that plays out. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that poem actually came about uh, over the summer while I was working in sales and I was like pretty content in my job. But then one of my old colleagues from my previous sales position just got like slaughtered. Uh, in a role and when I was there she was the highest performer and I just I heard about it and it was like it was devastating to me and it really kind of it illustrated to me the cutthroatness of that industry and just kind of how how people are moving pieces in order to get certain results Um, whether that be from like a exec level or a manager level or whatever it whatever it is um, I just had this like frustration come about and I think I started recognizing things that I recognized even before then, but it just highlighted all these issues that um, I wasn't like consciously thinking about while I was working day to day. But ultimately I just, I just feel like the one person that I really respected at that, that job who had like such a uniqueness to her, she just kind of got shot out because, because of like, you know, optics or whatever it is. And like, she didn't, she didn't look a certain way. Like she wasn't really, in my opinion, kind of like a clone version, which a lot of the other people were. 
Um, and I feel like in sales, I think that's a common industry where you, you do produce people who all look alike and who all talk about the same things and, uh, and things like that. Sales is kind of a broad term, I guess. The, is it more like, is it like retail or is it like marketing or what was the... Uh, well, I was in I was in tech sales uh, particularly, but I just I have friends in all different kinds of sales, and it's not just sales. Like I'm I'm really pigeonholing that, but I think that from just you know I think it it's definitely anecdotal evidence from people who are in my life. But I find that a lot of people who are in organizations, whether they're small or they're big, or they're startups or they're not, uh, they just have these experiences where people are. People are trying to get ahead by stepping on your head, and that, that's something that I that I never thought would happen coming out of college. You know, that's not like what you're really concerned about is, you know, like having stability and getting paid well and being in a in a like fruitful environment. But I think often the way that the dynamic is is misplaced in in a capitalist system is that everybody's kind of looking out for their own ass. Um, and that's kind of the, that's like the, the root of the problem. It's not just sales. It's not just tech sales. And I don't want to pigeonhole that. I like, I definitely don't want to, I, I, I would feel like I'm offending a lot of people that helped me out a lot in the past. And there's definitely certain good experiences that I had there. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's, that's my point of view. Yeah. One thing I can share is that I worked at this, uh, bank, the commerce bank and, uh, uh, for a little while after college. And, um, you know, there even they use the word CYA, cover your ass. You know, it's like, you know, some people were like using that terminology to uh, mean that you have to like really look after yourself and not really care about, you know, like whether or not it's, for the, you know, it's not, there's no mission in regards to like, for example, in nonprofit sectors are like for the betterment of the community or the betterment, of, you know, we're looking for the looking out for the best of best outcome. At least that's the theory. And, and, and uh, corporate America are like places where there's more profit driven you know, they're like, you know, um, you know, if, if you're on the wrong end of the stick, then you're pretty much, uh, you know, they don't mind cutting you out. You know, they don't mind. They're not too interested in, uh, you know, preserving their their employees or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Like, that's what it's really all about. Right. Like, I think everybody's kind of thinking about covering their own ass and. Like I've had, I've had people that have been in, in the industry for a decade now and have been, you know, working in different kinds of jobs and different kinds of orgs and, and they all kind of, they all end up coming to the same conclusion, which is you can have great relationships with even people in HR. And then when the time comes, they're going to slit your fucking throat and they're never mm -hmm. going to talk to you again. Like, that's just how it is. Um, and like, if you have a great manager, I think that definitely alleviates some of those problems, but that's an overarching theme. And I think it, I think it is because we're incentivized for individual success. We're all incentivized to be like that number one killer, uh, like the number one producer. And it's not, it's not just, it's not limited to one industry. It's, it's just, it's like the way of life here. And I have parents from Europe. Uh, my, my parents are from former Yugoslavia. Uh, which is now Serbia, and they grew up in, in a socialist economy, you know, and, and it's it's much more of a different perspective. I think you're much more concerned about the community and have this like communal view of, of everything when it comes to healthcare, education, or like personal success. Like everybody in Serbia is, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on, on this, but yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're broke as fuck. Like, they yeah. have no money. Uh, but everybody's always buying each other drinks. The little money that they have is all spent on, like, trying to help out family members or friends whenever they have even less money. Um, but that just doesn't happen here. Like, that's not the way that we, that we're, like, motivated. That's not, that's not how it is. Yeah, yeah. And also, there was, like, this great uh, meme I saw where the, the, the uh, corporate owner is, like, having, like, 90 cookies and then, like, one guy has one cookie, and then uh, the poor, like, you know, it was like they, they go in tears. Like, I think people might, people might have seen this, but uh, the worker has one cookie, and then it's like the immigrants can take your cookie. And meanwhile, the, the business owner has, like, 90 cookies, you know? So it's like, calls attention to the fact that, you know, we're all kind of, um, you know, struggling, and, but at the same time, all the, all the resources are going to that top 1%, which is now becoming more of the conversation around the, the 1% since Bernie started that uh that uh oh, more open dialogue in, in the public about one percent and about the top earners and and how they're kind of you know um what's the word like uh they're like exploiting basically the exploiting the, the labor of the of the, all the people like for example amazon it's like uh you know all these people are making amazon happen all these workers are making amazon happen but what is jeff Bezos doing that is worth that much money that he's like the richest person in the world or whatever. But did he see yeah. the Amazon in Alabama? They didn't pass the union thing. So there's a yeah. whole pushback against union unionizing and sort of Bernie Sanders and socialism. There's a whole, yeah, I don't know. It's hopefully in a few years it'll be better, but it just seems like it is a kind of a capitalistic country. You know? Yeah. At least the culture is very capitalistic. I know whether or not the system is, I mean, there's a lot of socialistic aspects to the system, uh, corporate welfare and all that kind of thing, you know, which wouldn't be there in a pure capitalist society, but we're not really a pure capitalist society, but at the same time, the culture is very least supportive of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, because of that structure, the, the, the culture is like a representation of that. Right. Mm. Um, and also like you mentioned Bernie and as soon as you mentioned Bernie, I was thinking about Jeff, Jeff Bezos. And I was thinking about, He's just prodding him over and over and over and over and over again. But Jeff, Jeff Bezos has been around for a while. I mean, he's been this billionaire with unlimited control for a long time. Uh, but it's about it's about like peeling layers away of that onion and then just kind of like distributing that information to the public. And then once people know about like uh, like the the innards basically of that and the like the shortcomings of it, then they start talking about it. And then you have the younger the younger people who are starting to you know like they're going to protests and they're posting about it all the time and like it, it may not have this crazy effect to post a story to instagram but it's still it's like it's a perpetuation of education mm. for things that need to be spread yeah yeah and also it seems like uh you know there's always been waves of like younger generations becoming more progressive but that doesn't mean necessarily that in the future you know we're gonna have a a progressive society because when you think about like the 60s and 70s we had a lot of like these hippie movements and the, and the and this free love and the and the uh civil rights movements all these kind of movements started but then like in the 80s we had like 80s and 90s we had like a very conservative uh pushback so there's always that ebb and flow of like you know going towards the left swinging towards the left and then swinging back in a in a kind of reactionary way towards more uh conservative or more traditional um Traditionally conservative viewpoints, yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I, yeah, it's good that you mentioned that too because I, I definitely think it is a seesaw. I think with every countercultural countercultural movement, we have like we have a decade of people saying one thing and then kind of 
in a sense, it's extremism and it's a little bit going overboard. And as much as I think the hippie movement was was kind of great, uh, I think it lacked like your your message can't just be love. Like it also has to be about strategy and how do you how do you like change things within the current model to make other people's lives better. Mm. Like it can't just be about like spreading emotion and caring and all all of those all of those things may be great, uh, but it's not it's not actually changing anything uh, effectively. You know and. And certain things did, like obviously the civil rights movement was around yeah. the same time, uh, and that definitely led to change. And none of those things have gotten pushed back since since uh, since their conception. So, well, I mean, it depends on what you how you define pushback. I mean, sometimes, like for example, the election of Trump was like a real you know kicker That's to true. the yeah that was a real kicker to the whole you know because he was pushing back at least in the LGBT uh, front, he was pushing yeah. back on a lot of the um, uh, you know like in the religious uh in the religious laws around uh discriminating against lgbt communities so he was like i think i remember reading that he was like pushing back against that he was like allowing uh them to discriminate so he was putting laws in that were like oh you know you had the religious right to discriminate against your against these populations and then also just his track record as a as an individual you know kind of he seems like he was very much uh against he was very much racially motivated, very racist, you know? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of that was, like, America recognizing that there is a huge chunk of the population that agrees with that crazy, that crazy dude. Yeah. <laughs> they agree with those conservative things, and they agree with, like, the, there's, like, this inherent racism that people just didn't feel comfortable talking about. And then we elected Trump. And all of these like closet racists, basically, who are making like these microaggressions in their daily lives, all of a sudden they're like waving the Trump flag and they're like, "Yeah, fuck all these people." Yeah, <laughs> I've been I've been secret about this for years, you know, and that's that's definitely true too. And uh, there was discrimination, obviously, in the trans community as well, and in the even like the military sector in what? regards to trans people, they were trying to keep trans people out. So. I, I haven't seen your artwork, but what kind of images do you use to, like, make political statements? So, like, th is it, like, stuff on Instagram or is it stuff on, like, physical pieces on Canvas? Or, like, uh, can you yeah, describe yeah. some of your images? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, it's politics on Canvas. It's not all politics. Like, I, it's, it's, it's a range of different things. But when I'm really infuriated with politics and something, like, something groundbreaking kind of happens... Um, I, I like to paint it. So for instance, with, with Trump, I painted, I wish I could show you. I mean, I could, I could well, probably like, do you post on Instagram or no? Do you have a website yeah, or I anything? Post on Instagram. I post on Instagram. What's oh. it, what's your handle? Uh, it's U R S T R E E L Y. So yours truly. Yeah. I'll pull you up. And then U R S T R E E L Y. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, here you are. All right, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. so it's like a, it's a mix of some things are, you know, just posts about me and other things are politics. Yeah, I see like uh, some images of, uh, it, it seems like uh, intimate portraits. Uh, there's yeah. one portrait here. Can, uh, you repeat, oh, here. can you repeat again? It's U.S. truly, what's the, the rest of it? U-R-S, then T-R-E-E-L-Y. E-E-R. E-E, yeah. 
truly there's, truly so if you're if you're on that profile there's also in the bio much too cool which is like my company name and that's yeah. that's like exclusively artwork but it's not fully updated so it doesn't have everything oh cool, cool. There's actually yeah. there's one of trump right there that's that's a pretty good uh like demonstration of what i'm talking about oh i see see it's a trump and then mine just put um upside down over his yeah. eyes like a way to cover his eyes exactly, so it's like yeah. a side portrait of trump with the word mind written upside down over his eyes. So that's really interesting. It's like uh, revert, like inverting the mind or inverting the perspective of the, yeah. of the um, traditional ideas about the mind. And you know, he's like inverting that. So yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're good, good paintings with lots of red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be like an inversion of logic, you know, like you're, mm. you're using your mind to make educated decisions uh, based on experiences or like knowledge that you've gained. Uh, and he just didn't do that. Like we, we kind of saw that when COVID was unraveling and the guy was just talking out of his ass on a public forum. Um, yeah. And also like, obviously when he was like inciting violence with the Capitol, right? It's like all of those different things. Like he just, he Trump, if he was known for anything, in my opinion, it was, it was that he just, he, he would say things on a whim without thinking them through. And you cannot do that as president. Of yeah. Course. President of anything, you can't do that. I think on some level, a lot of times people are discussing with me, and we've discussed on the show a lot, is that if he was better at his job, it would have been more more frightening because, I mean, I think in some ways it was kind of like him being like clownish or him being kind of buffoonish or kind of over the top kind of helped us because it kind of called attention to his uh, his ability to, or his, his uh you know, manipulations, whereas if he was like more, if there was a president in his stead, and they're getting better and better at this, to create uh, politicians who are more streamlined in their presentation, and if he does it in a way that was very articulate, then, um, you know, we, we, we wouldn't be able to see behind the, the, the mechanisms, you know? Yeah. We'd be able to see that clearly, yeah. And we, and we have like a trend since, uh, you know, at least in my, in my lifetime, you know, since uh, Dan Quayle and then Sarah Palin and then, you know, all these kind of things, like kind of a trend towards this kind of like more uh, common folk idea, like appealing to the to the common folk idea, appealing to the to the real regular guy. I'm a regular dude, you know, kind of a thing like with Dan Quayle and even with George W. Bush, you know, kind of appealing to that sensibility that says that we're just normal people just like you. We're not polished. You know, we're not uh, really educated. We're not highly educated. They may be highly educated, but they're not giving the impression they're highly educated. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. The, there was something I remember reading about it. I don't actually remember the, the exact word that it was now, but I remember when he won the election in 2016, there was tons of reports and opinion pieces of people being like, how did this happen? How did, how did he kind of like sway the American public in this direction when everybody thought this was going to be a joke election? Mm. And it was just going to be like, uh, like a, like a landslide win for Clinton. Um, but I remember something about it was that he deliberately used smaller words. Yeah. So he would use short words in order to be more easily understood by like the uneducated populace. Mm. And because of that, like he was he was more easy to understand. He didn't have this like political jargon that a lot of politicians use. And then people people had those like commonalities that you're mentioning. Yeah. And the, the social media too, with the Facebook and Twitter, he kind of 
had a big following on that, but more so than Hillary Clinton. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely exploited that. Yeah, he definitely exploited the, oh, yeah. the Twitter addicts kind of thing, these short, brief tweets that end up being the demise of him. You know? Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy that something like that influenced the election. It's like, I think Facebook, I don't know, but it's, I'm, I'm for freedom of speech and, you know, stuff like that, but it seems like they should have some type of standards to vet what's real and fake news and what's real and what's not. And misinformation is just still crazy on there. Yeah. What do you think about social media in general? Uh, I mean, I think there's pros and cons. I don't really have a strong opinion on social media. I think, um, I think when it's used to spread misinformation, obviously it's problematic, but I also think it's a dicey conversation because once you start impeding on freedom of speech, it's, it's easy to move that tick to either direction. Like either, either like the conservatives or the progressives can just start like pigeonholing certain topics that can and cannot be discussed. Mm. Um, and I just think it's, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues with social media, obviously. Yeah, I know Bernie was also supporting or, or questioning the idea that Trump should have been eliminated from Twitter and the social media. He was questioning whether or not that says a bad precedence, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. Um, it's like, you know, once you start banning him, it's like anybody else could be fair game, you know? Yeah, like who yeah. else is going to get banned? You know, like somebody, yeah. somebody from the conservative side of the aisle is going to say, like, what is Bernie talking about? He's trying to make this country socialist. And then like, using snippets of information that he may have used in like whatever Instagram post and then being like, well, this was misinformed. So this should get blocked. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's never ending. Basically. You're just like, you're opening up a can of worms with, with things like that. But I don't know. There, there was a lot of justification, I think, to blocking him from Twitter. I, I think it's, it's scary with like the backlash and the ripple effect that could come from that. But also like for somebody in his position, to be spreading misinformation to that degree and that like he's been spreading misinformation for years obviously like mm. we all know that right yeah uh, and using twitter and exploiting it like you said in order to do that um but when it when it ends up causing a riot of the capital with multiple people smashing things within the capital and like sitting at the desks of, of representatives, like that's a problem, you know, and that that's like directly linked to the speech that he held. Um, yeah, that, so, yeah, that's the reason why he was banned from Twitter and Facebook. I mean, if that, if that didn't happen, then then he probably would, would not have been. But that was yeah, pretty severe. You know, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was kind of like the the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Yeah, but also like I'm a big advocate for information literacy and the ability for people to be equipped to be able to discern messages and understand where the message is coming from, discern what the source of the message is. Do I have the complete context? Do I have the complete information? And that's something ultimately it should be like a, it should ideally be on the individual to discern or, or, or uh, evaluate the information that they're receiving. Uh, so ideally we should have a society in which everyone has the ability to, or has the tools to be information literate, you know, and unfortunately yeah. we're at a point where it's like bias or strong biases, uh, bias confirmation or by, I feel what the word to exact bias confirmation. I think it is, yeah, is yeah, like yeah. a, you know, confirmation, confirmation bias. Uh, so it's like, Oh, whatever our biases are, we see whatever we see that agrees with us. We immediately latch on to, as opposed to really evaluating sources and you should be ready. We should ideally be ready to uh, give up any position 
if evidence, uh, if evidence, overwhelming evidence is convincing us that, uh, or is, is showing that, demonstrating that 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 belief or, or idea is is invalid, you know. But you can also like you can Google anything. You can have an opinion, and you can Google, and you can verify on on the internet any idea or, or opinion you have. Mm. So I think like on Facebook or Twitter, like there should be some way to say this is from a newspaper with an objective or like a newspaper source, and this is a personal blog. There should be some type of labels. I think they're working on that. For yeah, I think I know in Facebook they started doing uh, like this. This post is not verified. They started doing that in the past like year or so. Yeah, they somehow give an alert saying it's unverified. Uh, in a lot of social media platforms, they do that. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Like I totally agree with you. I think it should be up to the the audience members, but I think that's that's also like at the same token, like that's their responsibility. You know, like it's not really the responsibility of the person. I mean, it obviously is. Like I'm not trying to say that anybody should be encouraged or feel justified in spreading misinformation where you could influence an audience, yeah. which is what social media like. It's a tool where you could use it for that purpose. Um, but I think like with the speed of the internet and with the the ease and like the convenience of it people just don't feel like doing their research and that's on mm. like that's on them like that's their problem like it's the same thing you can translate that to news too mm. like watching cnn or watching fox whatever you do like there's so many biases involved in in how these reporters are presenting information sometimes and you you should you should like have the foresight to to know that you should only take that with like a grain of salt and do your research over like mass platforms and not just one and, and just because like cnn is more in line with you know maybe my politics it doesn't mean that i'm only going to exclusively watch them mm. and see their reportings of things because mm. uh, there's obviously biases involved so there was a time when uh news was objectively more objective you know like in other words like the laws made it like they had to be more objective, and then I think I was watching the movie Vice, and yeah. with um, you know about Dick Cheney, and uh, they they touched in on the the time period in the I think it was the seventies or I think I guess the eighties. They touched in a little bit before the the his presidency, um, his vice presidency. They touched in on how the laws changed at some point that um, paved the road for you know places like Fox News that are very highly biased. So. I don't remember. I have to research a little bit. I encourage people to look this up. But, um, you know, I understand there were some le there were some legal changes that, you know, paved the road for this kind of news journalism. So that that was not the case all the time. And then and then yeah. the undermining of the undermining of the of journalistic sources by saying uh, fake news and all this kind of stuff is like almost legitimate because it's like, you know, highly biased news, is almost like fake news. You know, it's like, you know, highly biased news is like, yeah, when I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Alex, you want you want to say something? Yeah. No, no, you can go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, growing up before the internet, like, it's like you had the New York Times and the National Enquirer right next to each mm. other, but most people could tell which one was like the entertainment and which one was the, the news. You know, like if you wanted the news, you pick the, the the newspaper, not the National Enquirer. Yeah. 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 No, that's totally right. And um, I don't know. I mean, I I think that with with news outlets and and like how they've changed over time like fox news is is so so conservative in how how they represent themselves and so much of it is is because of these like alliances with certain politicians like 
Donald Trump now, after Fox News has correctly uh, said that Joe Biden won the election, he started distancing himself and trashing on Fox News uh. as a result of that. Uh, and like trying to like smear their credibility and fake news is fine to mention because there's there's like validity in that, obviously, but you can't say fake news this because they don't agree with me. But then <laughs> this isn't fake news because they're supporting me. Yeah, like, that's just crap. And it's the same thing when he was trying to object to the results of the election. Like the only states that he object objected to uh, having like voted counts uh, uh, counted votes correctly are the states that he didn't win in. So yeah. it's like it's situations like this where you're just seeing this like constant manipulation coming from politicians and then influencing different outlets like like news outlets too. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So now, like, I have friends that I talk to about this where they, they're, like, projecting that he's going to move over to smaller, more conservative outlets now and then, like, try and rebuild his reputation and then influence them and, like, make them a little bit more profitable and more popularized and then people are going to start listening to them versus Fox. I mean, it's all it's all just, like, it's all bullshit, really. Like, it's all just... It's like smears everywhere. They're trying to smear other candidates. They're trying to get get uh, influence over over different outlets and and try and like I don't know, just try and get more support for for the cause. I guess that they're 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 aiming at. And I don't really know what his cause is because he used to be a Democrat too. Yeah, <laughs> he's like flip flopping left to right. But whatever he's whatever side he's trying to get more influence from. I mean. <laughs> so this is the truth to power show. I'm ready for Brooklyn. Uh, we're here with uh, co-host Cole Malson and guest Alex Miljanic. Uh, we're talking a little bit about politics uh, and uh, and uh, impressions around corporate America, uh, about the artistic life. Let's return back to the artistic life and how we can uh, the commodification of art and all this kind of stuff, and how you know the artistic life has become. I remember I, I was listening to this article about a, a painting that was put up where they had some uh, like painting supplies put around. And a couple came and thought it was a public works art, so she they started to put some strokes onto the paint, and then it ended up causing like it's like four hundred fifty thousand dollar painting, and they were like, "This is defacing the art," and it became no a big way. it became a big discussion piece because it's like they they all these signs were there saying you know don't uh, don't deface the art, but then they they didn't read them of course, and it's like yeah. they end up par- trying to participate in the art project and cause some damage to the painting, which is it just kind of calls attention the idea of artistic expression and how the commodification of art and how, you know, it becomes a product and how, and, and what, what, is, what is art? What is real art? And I'm throwing that general question out to you, like what is art and how can we understand art? And what is the role of art in our society? Uh, I mean, I think it's really hard to, I think people have been trying to define what art is for forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, since somebody came up with the word art, they've been trying to define what it is and like nail it down. Uh, and if you look at famous artists, everybody has a different different take on it. Um, but for me, I think it's just like it's it's as simple as just like an expression of ex- an expression of the the creator of the artwork. So it's it's whatever like the artist themselves has gained from experience with people or things throughout their lifetime or like things around them, and then has tried to from those experiences from those people tried to put that on any kind of medium on any kind of like any kind of form of expression that could be Mm. like writing whatever like painting sketching any any way that you really want to look at it music all of those things are artistry 
Um, and it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's very simple. It's just an expression of yourself. Um, yeah. and it's, it's like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to overcomplicate it. That's yeah. <laughs> so for, pretty basic to me. For the past year with coronavirus, uh, how has that affected your art? Have you drawn more or less? Or I think it depends on some individuals like did a lot and some people did less. So how did the last year affect your work? Uh, I've done more for sure. I've definitely done more. I started, uh, like, again, I started painting when I started. So after I graduated college, I majored in public health, thought that was interesting. Uh, then decided to go to Prague, teach English for a year. When I started working after taking like a four year sabbatical from making art for what I, for no reason at all. I just like, I don't know what it was, but I just, it was like a hands-off experience. I, I was trying to focus on other things. Um, and then once I started working, I just started like producing and like, I couldn't stop. It was, I would, I would go to work and I would stay at my desk for six hours afterwards, just sketching uh, for no reason. And I was, I was living with my boyfriend at the time and I would come home at 10 PM and he's like, what happened to you? You know, like your classes ended at four and I'm like, I don't know. You know, like you just can't stop once you start, once yeah. you start working on those kinds of things. Um, but COVID has just, it's given me more time, I guess, cause you're like stuck at home. Obviously all of us were, were in quarantine for a pretty long time. Uh, like the New Yorkers, especially when, when things got pretty hot over here. So, uh, it just gave me more time to, to focus on it and like try out different things and, work out my different styles. I definitely have one style that kind of goes across the board. I think I've definitely developed something where you can see, like, if you see like a row of my different pieces, like 15 of them, you would know 100% that it was the same artist creating them, just like through the brush strokes and the colors that were used and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I also want to give, uh, since we're about um, a little more than halfway through, I want to give a chance to listen to the poem that you yeah. uh, submitted. So I have the... Um, I have the poem on my computer so I can play it um, and then we'll listen to it and then we can come back to our conversation. Okay. Cool. All right. Good. Cool. Cool. Thanks. All right. Let's listen to, uh, let's just play it. In America, entering the corporate world happens while you're shopping for respectability in a pair of leather loafers from Latvia. Morning is Yale blue. Evening is black. This is the Corporate Cock Express, where each new piece of clothing bought is a plastic selling chip to gamble at a casino bank for optics. Buy a standard three-piece suit and you've sold each limb off to the fish market to be weighed and stamped and low bargained from the very beginning. It was you, the uncensored, unshowered version that walked around like a dirty car that hadn't been cleaned. Cheetos and seatbelt cracks, empty pull and springs scattered around in the ever-living garden of your uniqueness of a freakness and a cool kind of freakness. When you had your own smell and it was even good when it reeked. Finish lines were unneeded nothings. Gym teachers didn't see it that way. Neither does your boss. Welcome to the Corporate Cock Express. Lunch is at noon and it's eaten at your desk and it's eaten in 15 to 25 minutes if you're as wise as the suit-slipping veterans. Now we arsenic to make money. Eat the money to buy stuff. Eat the stuff that eats the stuff that goes away to make more money. On the flip side, a small note, don't worry about it though. Eat time by spending time eating stuff that eats stuff to make money for more stuff to be eaten by greedy top-earning eaters who are better fed than you are. Entering the corporate world is eating 12 powdered donuts when you only need 6 to be full just so they know you're hungry enough. 40k, 60k, 150k, 300k, this ladder climber with corrupted splinters is indispensable. This ladder climber's first class. 
At the top are the indispensables who haven't had a bad quarter yet. When they do, they morph into single-use tissues. Isn't that what they always were? You've got one use, anything unique is a misuse, the good guys are the throwies. The Corporate Cock Express, where we eat shit and call it a Michelin star. The Corporate Cock Express, where there's a 90% chance you're a man or never forgetting that you're not one. The Corporate Cock Express, where suits are filled with fame-skinned person X who flutters around life thinking this is the only piece of it that has any weight. You're hungry? Eat. The best of the best eat each other and get rewarded. In America, entering the corporate world happens while you're sleeping or reading or aging without reflection into anything besides your own mirror. Entering corporate America with the seams of the soles on your shoes while you're losing your own. You think I'm a dick? So do I. Okay, thank you. So we just listened to that uh, Corporate Croc Express. Um, yeah, so talk, continuing the conversation about, um, you know, kind of like, I think of it in terms of, um, you know, like when we think of systems of oppression as well, as like the four state, the four levels of oppression being like yeah. uh, ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. You know, how um, even in this piece we get a sense of how like, you know, the, 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 uh, we, th- we talked a little bit about, um, you know, institutional ideological oppression, you know, how the institutions or the systems are at play. So even if we were to change, you know, the individual people, we have systems at play here in which this has been a big theme of the show. It's been about how, you know, like these systems or relationships around corporations and systems and, and the survival of the, the organizations are like the institutional and, and the ideological it convinces people that they have to buy into those systems. And then, you know, getting down to the interpersonal, how we treat each other is based on those ideologies and institutions. So, uh, yeah, we continue on that theme about um, how you understand, like, uh, even interpersonal oppression. We t- in your pre-interview questions, you're talking a little bit about, like, normalization and, like, how, you know, that kind of plays into... Um, maybe interpersonal oppression, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's a good segue, I guess, into, into like, uh, my challenges, especially about, like, you know, generally normalizations overall. So this obviously is catered to the, the what I mentioned as the corporate ladder, right? Like, yeah. everybody has this desire to climb it. Everybody has a desire to be the best, then um to have that like personal definition of what we've established as success in this particular country and success while it may look different from org to org uh based on like certain kpis or metrics or whatever it is kpis are key performance indicators i don't that's a term that we used in uh, in sales in particular um but the the overarching thing that we keep talking about is like the person who the person who like looks out for themselves and we we mentioned this thing of like team player and i've had people that have said like oh like i care so much about people who work under me or i care so much about my team this this and this but like when it comes down to it how many people will take this like figurative bullet in the back for you ever um and like own responsibility for messing up or something to like to like smudge their credibility versus trying to pin it on somebody else you know mm. it's not like 
I don't think it's it's not even really seen as weak though because it's so it's so common um, that like people are looking out for themselves that it's not even like like I mentioned in the poem like um, just like shaking hands with higher ups and things like that just to get ahead um, and like trying to suck up to certain people that have more power and it's not just limited to work I think it's in life as well I find that like as we get older people are becoming more choosy with who they're like allowing into their circle and the wrong kinds of people in my opinion are the ones that are choosing people that they can like somehow like take advantage of in a certain aspect and like not manipulate but just like they see these avenues for how a relationship with a certain person will like result in x or result in z um and it's okay like i think it would be silly to not uh like look at your surroundings and if you're if you're trying to be like for instance if you're trying to break into the music industry like i understand why you'd want to do like networking or whatever and like meet certain people that could help you out but to exclusively try and surround yourself with people that could that could like be an asset for you without like thinking about what you provide for them in return uh it's like it's just like kind of sneaky to me and i've always thought that and uh, it becoming like a more common thing when people are trying to establish themselves, I think is problematic. But going back to what you said, uh, from an interpersonal level and challenging normalizations and things like that, I think I mentioned in the in the pre-interview, we were talking about uh, like one of the things that I, that I believe in that I, I kind of like hold to be true. Um, and one of them is that even people who align with my politics and kind of have like my progressive outlook on life and uh, in like the world and on gender norms and, and things like that, like, I almost feel like we're not pushing the conversation far enough. Like mm. there's certain things that we're doing that are still totally common, like, and they're really benign. Like I, I even like understand why they, they exist, but like, we're so critical as a society, especially recently about things like guy talk, for instance, like mm. people sitting in a circle and having conversations that they would not be having if women were in the room. Mm. And we're, we're like starting to criticize those things and fit like it's fair to uh, because I don't think that uh, conversations that you're having in rhetoric should be exclusive to a certain gender. Like I think doing that is, is harmful. Um, but then like on the flip side of that coin, we're still enabling people to do things like have like girl talk or like in weddings, for instance, like we have bridesmaids and groomsmen and it's always exclusive to a certain gender as if girls only have girlfriends and guys only have guy friends. Mm. Like these kinds of like social things that we don't even think of because it's just so normal to us. And like, and back in the day when I was in middle school and in high school, I never thought twice about the fact that every single president was a white man. Like that never even occurred to me as being weird, you know, because <laughs> it's something that you just see regularly and uh, things that things that are common, you don't you don't think that they need to be questioned at all. But I think that they do. And I think I, I might be a, a bigger pain in the ass for it, for sure. But I think, uh, I think it, it's it's caused some productive conversations. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that we've gotten to the point where we're internalizing all this uh, oppressive systems. So we're like even criticizing ourselves when we when we think about, you know, when we when we criticize them. So some people have like, for example, like, um, you know, a good example would be like, you know, the, the movement towards uh, gender fluidity uh, and how, uh, you know, like how we think about, um, you know, how we should conform to perform our, our, our gender. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, um, like being like a performance and being like I was thinking about this, about how, 
you know, gender becomes like a performance and, you, and, and guys have to behave in a very macho way or something like that or females or, or women have to behave in like a, a feminine way and then questioning those those standards and understanding that, uh, you know, we're human beings essentially and that, you know, that our expressions can be, can be found more, can be masculine and we're kind of moving in a spectrum. So yeah. thinking about that, yeah, I think you, you brought up uh, about relationships and uh, interpersonal relationships and how with marriage and all this kind of stuff, it's like, you know, um, and how that plays into all this, yeah. I think that there has been some improvement where people kind of, you know, like the, the people are combating bullying, all, all these things where people yeah. are trying to be more aware of what they say because, you know, just to be more respectful to each other and stuff. So I think that, oh, okay, I think that people have been, like in the last few years, that there's more some more accountability for what people say. So I think in general people are kind of, being more aware of how they interact with others. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's, yeah, that's true. And okay, so there's there's two pieces there. Like, one is the fact that gender fluidity is definitely something that's getting recognized now as as a thing. Like, it wasn't even considered anything yeah. <laughs> uh, up until a few years ago, right? Um, but now, on the other hand, when when you mentioned awareness, and you're mentioning like that we are trying to be more careful with what we say and like, and a lot of that I think is tied to cancel culture. And, and we're like, we're recognizing the harm in certain things and we're recognizing that microaggressions are a thing uh, mm. and they do exist. And we were doing a lot of them subconsciously. Um, but I also don't think like when it comes to gender, I think one of the biggest problems is that we're not uh, like, we have not set up our kids our parents didn't set us up or like whatever, maybe not like personally me or you or you, uh, but like generationally and the way that society is structured, we have not set each other up that we're equally as comfortable being around a man and a woman. Um, like we're not as comfortable being with the opposite gender, I think in a, in a lot of ways. Mm. And stepping on eggshells and like being aware of the rhetoric that you're using and things like that actually uh, has a lot of unintended consequences. Like, for instance, I mean, this is a really particular example, but like men hearing about like the female anatomy and like, <laughs> for instance, we, we get our period every single month, but the average guy is going to hear about those kinds of like those kinds of things. And he's just going to like scurry away or feel uncomfortable or like not want to be part of that conversation or not want to hear about it. And it's because we have allowed people to feel uncomfortable having conversations that they don't have personal experiences with but like mm. half of the population is made up of women and because of that you have to you have to like you we have to get into this transitional phase where we're just comfortable being around each other and we're comfortable conversing about the same things as you would do with only your gender um mm. and it it like i don't want to compare it to this because i think there's differences but it's the same thing as like people wanting to stay within their own culture and, and there's like benefits to that. And there's like, like experiences that you guys share personally, but like, where does that really stop? Because back in the day we allowed for white people and black people to be completely separated mm. because we think that we have so many commonalities in this one cohort that we, we don't even feel comfortable, like putting our feet in the same pool as a black person. That's mm. how it was back in the yeah. day. Um, and we we completely allowed that to happen by like spreading misinformation and 
and allowing people to remain uncomfortable with each other. Mm. Um, so like, I think it's great that we're becoming more aware. I think there's, there's a, there's another side of the argument where like we can become aware, but like don't become overly aware of somebody just based on either their race or their gender, or, like the culture that they come from. Because yeah. I think definitely, I, I think I would encourage a beginner's mind everyone. So that then you know, I was thinking an example of like, you know, it's like how when we encounter something different or a different perspective or a challenging perspective, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, my perspective, I, I learned, I know enough to know that the opposite is true or like, you yeah. know, dig their heels in or feel like, you know, I, I have enough experience to say that I've learned that, uh, you know, B is true and you're presenting A. And then I'm like, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Yeah, As opposed yeah, yeah. to learning and like, well, why do you think A is true? And what is the reason and what is the what does it represent? For example, there was a J.K. Rowling uh, had this uh, blowout from uh, there was an article I talked about. Instead of saying women, it said people who menstruate. So it said people who menstruate. And she was like, they're called women. And then and yeah. then there, there was blowback because it was like, well, there are people there are people who identify as women who don't menstruate. And then 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 she was like, no, no, that's not that's not real. We don't believe in transgenderism or I don't believe in you know whatever it is, whatever she said. The point is, yeah. she was like canceled in that in regard to that, you know, like maybe I don't know, maybe unfairly. I don't know. I don't know what the what the judgment is there. But the point is, she was like an example of someone who dug their heels in and was like, oh, no, I really believe in women's rights. But then you're like you're then she she falls in the term of turf, I think is the term where it's like yeah. trans exclusionary radical feminism. Yeah. Um. That sucks. I definitely don't agree with her, but I also don't know how conducive it is to ch not change somebody's mind, but like educate somebody by just canceling them. Yeah. yeah. I think that what she said is, is for many reasons problematic. And I personally don't agree with it. And I don't really understand like her logic in that, mm. but I think what would have been productive is to have a conversation about it. And like, yeah. maybe yeah. she was pulled in for an interview and somebody asked her specific questions and like why she had this train of thought uh, and kind of like have like a logic based conversation around that. And like, maybe, maybe like from both sides, you can learn things. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's dangerous in today's day and age to talk without thinking too much. And I feel like that's just an example of what she did. I don't think she, she put much, much thought into, into that. Yeah. Um, I just had one question that's kind of unrelated, but uh, in your, uh... In your pre-questions, you, you mentioned Jack Kerouac. So, so you, I've read a few of his books. You, you like Jack Kerouac? Oh, yeah, I love Jack Kerouac. I love his writing style, and I uh, I think he was really influential to the other beats, which is what yeah. I love. I've, I've read a, like some poems from Ginsberg, too. Uh, I've got a couple of his books. I read Howl. Uh, I couldn't, like, even, even, like, writing myself and trying to, like, shit out poems when I have free time. <laughs> I can't, I can't really, I could never do what, what he does. And I, it's like hard to decipher sometimes, even, even like trying to do the same thing myself. But Jack has this like eloquence to his writing style that I just love. Like, I love the comparatives. I love, I love how he uses, like he always uses in, in some of his writings, he always uses the sun to describe about its colors. So he always says like the hot red sun. Like that's like a trademark, trademark uh, Kerouac thing. So he just like, he he assigns so much meaning to certain things and it's it's done in like not a corny or lame way i don't think it's just like in a very fascinating uh kind of like i don't know it's a it's in like a very meaningful and and justified way in my opinion yeah i 
uh, Ken Casey too. He he wrote that book, um, Electric Kool Aid Acid Test, and he talks a little about Kerouac and Ken Casey and stuff. So that by Thomas Wolf. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think he's awesome. I think all of them were. I think uh, Bill Burroughs is pretty cool too. I think also Jack Kerouac. An interesting thing that's that's been happening recently is like the this like shift with everybody loved J- Jack Kerouac. Like everybody, uh, I guess like decades ago, was like this is the coolest guy ever. Like <laughs> he was on the road, man. Like got these experiences, whatever. And then some people now, from like college and, and taking courses about him. They're like, well, this is just like another example of white privilege. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to do this unless he, uh, like, unless he was a white man, unless he came from money. But like, number one, he didn't come from money. He was broke as fuck when he was on his travels. But on the other, on the other side, like, that's absolutely true. Like, there's nothing to. If he, if he was black, he would not have been able to travel the United States. And yeah, I think it's in um, on the road or Dharma bums. He like goes to Mexico, and that's, you know, it's kind of a whole. Like, you know, that, that does show his privilege a little bit, just going there and living like a king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he did. Like, he did. Like, but I, I think, like, I really like him and I really like his writing. And uh, there's there's things to be recognized, like the fact that he couldn't have done that unless he was white. Um, but I don't think that negates his his uh, success. I don't think it negates the, the fact that he was a great writer. Yeah, I just, want to, I just want to tell listeners, as we start to wind down, this is Radio for Brooklyn, The Truth to Power Show. Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose uh, mission is to provide a free and open platform to the community, you know, have inspiring dialogues like this one. Um, if you're interested in uh, supporting us and making us, keeping us stay on air, please go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, if you're listening to this broadcast through your computer, please consider downloading the apps um, for iPhone and Android um, where you can listen more conveniently. Um, also, uh, if you'd like to keep in touch with our, our events and news, go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. And uh, that's about it. And then just, uh, you know, let's continue the conversation. Now, in, in your pre-interview questions, you talked a little bit about, I asked the question about what artifacts uh, or what um, pieces of pieces of literature or books, movies that you were meaningful symbols to you. And you showed some other, uh, some other great picks there. So you can go through some of the some of those. Just pick one or two, and then just talk a little bit about how you know that that also influenced you or had an impact on you. Oof! I mean, I could choose. I guess uh, Goodwill Hunting was one of the first movies that I had identified as my favorite, um, and I think that's like a popular pick. So I, I don't like picking it. Yeah. But um, yeah, like Robin Williams in that movie is just phenomenal. I love the the speeches that he has, and I remember the end of the movie where him and Matt Damon have this like emotional hug off basically. Uh, and I, I like, I remember, I just kept thinking that Robin Williams is just going to get smacked in the face. He's going to get hit. Like, this is never going to work. Um, but it's the first time that I, that I like saw in plain sight that like a professional, like somebody in psychology knew exactly how to like persuade and like move somebody towards healing um and i never like i don't know i never got experience from that we're like again like we're eastern european we don't really have discussions about like (laughs) you know like go to therapy you're feeling this this and this way it's more of like white knuckling things and come on like get your head out of the gutter like what are you doing uh like stinking up this room with your sadness (laughs) (laughs) Um, stinking up this room with your sadness he said yeah (laughs) that's funny 
Yeah. Um, and then uh, this the other one is Goodfellas. That one's less, I guess, uh, less like demonstrative of anything that I've like become in the future. But I I just like I, I love that like tough guy imagery. I know it's like pretty toxic, but <laughs> for me, like, for me, like I don't know why, but for some reason, I've always identified with with like those kinds of things. Like I, maybe it's because I have like sort of a bad temper too. So when I like pop off, like this one scene with. Um, with Ray Liotta and he he like starts beating the shit out of a guy because he like he hurt his girlfriend or fiance at the time um like any of those kinds of things is just like it's like a fun watch for me so uh I, I don't love... know why I think that I'm like this tough guy I'm definitely not but, but uh that movie definitely made me feel like that so. I love the Joe Pesci line am I a comedian do I am I here to make you laugh you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, like it's such a Funny yeah, my funny you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. that's such a great line when someone makes a joke to just throw out there and be like, you know, like uh, when you make a joke and someone laughs, it's like uh, you know, just like uh, throw that out there and like throw, disrupt the whole yeah. harmony of the situation is in, in, a, in, a, in a great way. You know, they say, they say that that was improvised. I'm not sure if it actually was, but they say he improvised that in the movie. Oh wow, wow! It's such a memorable line too. Right? It's amazing how in films how uh, the fly the moment. Uh, you know, can suddenly produce the best lines of the of the of the of the cinema of the work of the work. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we, as we start to end, I just want to give you a chance also to uh, plug some of the things that to re replug some of the places people can follow you in, and uh, and where they can find out more about you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they can follow me on either of those grand pages. I also have my own website with my artwork which has to be updated, but people can actually like make purchases on there too. And just like, yeah. if not, like, you know, like I even say on my website and like the way that I describe the company, like, I really don't care if you buy anything. I just think it's cool to like read the bio and like yeah. understand kind of like the meaning behind the works. Cause there's, yeah. some, there's some interesting stuff there. Like there's, there's a reason that I, that I, that I do what I do. What's the um, name of the, so what's the link? What's the website? Uh, yeah. It's muchtoocold.com and uh, two is the numeric version. So it's much and then the number two, cole.com. C O L E or C O L D? C O L E. C O L E, oh, much too cold. Okay, yeah. cool. And finally, uh, what, what are you watching or what are you listening to? That, uh, what are you doing? Uh, what, what are you binging, rather? Uh, anything you're binging? binging uh, anything you're binging? Yeah. No, there's nothing. There's nothing I'm really binging on right now at the moment. I'm kind of just I'm hanging out. I've I've this I've had a lot of sunny days recently where I've had to uh, get some commissions done. So I'm kind of focusing on that and like good, good. You know, having a lot of work. So thanks so much. All right, so thanks so much for being here. Any last thoughts? I have no. I mean, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you guys having me on. This was a great conversation for me to have, and you know. I <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna listen to it later on. So I yeah, hear how crazy it sounded online. So <laughs> thanks. It's my first time co-hosting, so it's been fun. Yeah, check out Matt's. Yeah. Uh, check out Colt Malson's uh, interview on our archives at RadioForBrooklyn.org/slash/truth2power. You can see you listen to him. He was the focus of one of the episodes, uh, so you can listen to his interview as well. Uh, we have oh, all yeah. of our archives up yeah, at like 160. Yeah, episodes. about 160 episodes. Yeah, we've done about 160 episodes. So definitely check us out on uh, RadioFooking.org slash Shoot the Power. Thanks so much. Nice. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye. Today I'm at Martinez Playground, where I'm surrounded by skaters both young and old. 
but age is not necessarily indicative of skill. As Omar Rivera tells me, he's been teaching students for over 20 years and learns something new every day.